Hey, good evening, uh, everyone. Uh, welcome to a, another edition of Bright Lights, our podcast where every week we bring you achievers who have had significant achievers in their lives, have overcome goals, where we believe basically in general you can be anything you want to be if you're willing to set goals and sacrifice and work hard towards what you want to do. Uh, we're not in the excuse business. Uh, we don't let obstacles stop us from achieving our goals. We don't let things that happen in history stop us from achieving our goals. Uh, we don't sit around and talk about how unfair the world and life is and let that stop us from focusing on and achieving our goals. So uh, we hope that's a little different than what you normally hear coming out of the media. And that's what we're trying to do. We just have confidence uh, in you and your ability. We have confidence in this country's the opportunity that it offers you. And I always have a challenge to anyone out there who think they cannot be whatever they want to be to let us know about it. And we'd like to be uh, wants to look into it and understand why. Uh, so uh, as usual, uh, we're coming to you uh, from our studio here in North Minneapolis, another blessed day in the neighborhood. Uh, go out to LaceyJohnson.com, uh, subscribe to our channel, uh, follow us uh, on YouTube and other social media. Uh, click the bell to get notification when new contents uh, is uploaded. Uh, donate to the podcast and uh, check out our online store. And you'll see a lot of nice uh, souvenir uh, related to the podcast. So, as you know, I start off uh, my uh, podcast with just some events in the news normally or something that's happened. I got three events here and I'm going to try to make it through it rel relatively quickly here. And we're going to connect some dots here because I like dots and I like connecting dots and putting puzzles together here. But uh, three items in the news, I guess, this week. And like I said, the rest of it caught my attention. Uh, first of all, it was the $33 billion that we were planning on sending over to Ukraine. And I've seen this played out again, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, and once again, uh, I'm not commenting on the news coverage because, you know, I really don't appreciate the news coverage or hardly anything. Uh, but uh, uh, we'll talk about that. So I'm not going to comment on that just to say that uh, $33 billion for Ukraine and the fact that everything I've heard says that it's one of the most corrupt countries on Earth. And I don't know whether we why we put forth our money and perhaps even soldiers, because there's some in Poland right now next to Ukraine. And our guest tonight, uh, she will uh, let you know, uh, May Lorzang, Zang, I probably messed that up. She's going to correct me. Our guest tonight has some experience in the Vietnam War and how that was fought. And some of the things that happened there is relevant to what's going on now. But OK, so the $33 billion for Ukraine, that caught my attention. Uh, the Supreme Court leak, that was a leak out of the Supreme Court, uh, I guess yesterday or so, uh, where they're actually uh, leaking the court ruling on the Mississippi abortion law. And uh, I suspect some pro-abortion people that's worked for the court has leaked that. And, you know, we're just uh, destroying all our institutions. And, you know, some of this stuff, uh, to me, it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on or who you support. It's just about principles. And look, anybody can be principal when it doesn't cost us anything. Uh, and what I find is most people, they'll desert their principles if they figure it's something that they, uh, if, if it's causing them to not achieve something that they want. 
uh, or lose something that they do want. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And then, uh, man, this is probably the scariest thing I've heard in a long time. The Department of uh, Homeland Security is establishing, get this, people, a disinformation governance board. I mean, that's just incredible. And, you know, I know the great thing about it when you get to be my age, I tell people all the time, you've lived history. And a lot of stuff they're BSing people about, they can't BS you about. You, you, you've gone through and you've seen through too much. But we're going to connect all these things. And in order to connect these things, uh, we're going to connect Abraham Lincoln, fathers of the, the framers of the Constitution, uh, Nobel uh, economic laureate, uh, Milton Freeman, and the author of the book, 1984, George Orwell. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I mentioned Lincoln's quote that America will not cease to exist because of some outside army or some outside country. He stated that if we were to cease to exist, it's going to be by suicide. And in, in other words, we're going to destroy this democracy ourselves. No other country is going to do it. And some of the things that I'm mentioning here is, is clear signs of that, and we'll get into some more. Uh, the framers of the Constitution, uh, their status on central banks, their opinion of paper currency, uh, their concerns about all of that, and somehow we've ended up with the central banks, and they were concerned that it would lead to wars, uh, we'd be constantly borrowing money to finance these wars, and that this debt will be passed on to a future generation, and we've seen that happening. And the sad part about it, the voters, the citizens, they seem to be supporting this. They're supporting our own suicide, but once again, that's another story. And then um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, and you could go back and read quotes on a lot of our framers of the Constitution, they considered banks, some of them, more dangerous than, than standing armies uh, because of their ability to uh, get a stranglehold of our money supply. And I don't want to get too far off topic here today, but if you understand money supply, you understand them sending out free checks during the pandemic, and you understand the price of eggs right now and how all that's connected, uh, you would know what I'm talking about. Uh, and then Milton Friedman, he's my favorite. I, I just love the guy, man, uh, as far as his view on uh, personal freedom, his view on government, his view on finances and money. But he basically looked at that the government has three basic uh, responsibility. Uh, military defense of the nation uh, to enforce contracts between individuals and people within the, within the country and to protect us uh, from crime. And that's basic. That's the basic of government. And then finally, uh, George Orwell. As some of you know, George Orwell uh, wrote the novel 1984, which really uh, warned us about totalitarianism and mass surveillance and, and repressive uh, regimentation. And I tell people, once again, at the age I am, I remember the communist scare. I remember them uh, uh, having evacuation drills in elementary schools. I remember when China was red China. And, but most importantly, I remember when they warned us about communism, one of the main things that scared the heck out of me as a little kid is that the government is going to be always watching you. The intelligence agency is going to keep track of you. 
and I'm finding out that that's happening right here now. We're we're, we're there, people, almost there. And uh, in 1984, the novel, uh, George L. Orwell talked about newspeak, and he talked about double think. And he's basically talked about how politicians and people use language uh, to deceive us. And he talked about the four, and, and, and this is getting to the whole uh, disinformation governance board. Uh, in 1984, they talked about four different bureaus uh, as part of government. There was the Bureau of Truth, which was actually in the business of telling lies. There was the Bureau of Peace, which was actually in the business of, of, of starting wars and executing wars. There was the Bureau of Love, which was actually about uh, torture. And then there was the Bureau of Plenty, which was actually uh, about uh, starvation. So we got Bureau of Truth, Bureau of Peace, Bureau of Love, Bureau of Love, and Bureau of Plenty. And this whole bureau, and everybody should at least read uh, the 1984, this Bureau of Truth, this, no, this Disinformation Governors Board, if someone can tell me that this is not similar to what George Orwell was talking about in 1984 with the Bureau of Truth, I'd like to know that. But she, and, and I'm going to wrap this up right quick. These are some of the things that happen, that I know about or happen within my lifetime that tells me we are on the, this slow road to uh, democratic suicide. Well, first of all, we talked about the founding fathers, principal central banks and things like that. Uh, in 2013 uh, was when they enacted the legislation to create the Federal Reserve System, our central bank. And everybody needs to just go out and read uh, uh, the history of central banks and why people were concerned about it. And it's not coincidental that the same year that they passed the Federal Reserve, they created the Federal Reserve, they also passed, I think it was 16th Amendment, that created the direct tax on in, individual, the federal income tax. And once again, our fathers, uh, our, the framers of the Constitution really, really was concerned about that. And we let both of those uh, come into place. Another sign of slow suicide to me was the creation of the Central Intelligence Agency. And what many people don't know is created by Harry Truman to help have a, local, a centralized place for intelligence. But after a while, Harry Truman really regretted creating the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, he said it had become diverted from its original function and had become an operational and policy-making arm of the government. And some of you, in fact, uh, President Truman, who created the CIA, uh, said it was acting Gestapo-like. And President Kennedy threatened to uh, split the CIA, CIA up into a thousand little pieces. And so that's the draft. And, and, but let me say this, and, and bear with me. Uh, even more scarier than that, I think, I heard the leader of the Senate, uh, Chuck Schumer, actually warning the president of the United States that he should be fear our Central Intelligence Agency. Now, if that's not a sign of us headed towards suicide, I don't know where the president of the United States have to worry about the Central Intelligence Agency. And, and it's just pointing out uh, what uh, uh, Harry Truman had in mind here concerned. So that's, we talk about the Federal Reserve, direct uh, tax on individual income tax. In fact, to me, if we really want to get government under control, the best thing we can do is get rid of, this, rescind the 16th Amendment, where they're not taxed, get rid of the federal income tax, direct income tax on your labor, which acts as a incentive, the incentive, and you can check with Milton Freeman and a whole bunch of people about that. 
Uh, but okay, so the, the CIA, and then somewhere along the line, I think it was in 1973, and you got to connect all these dots. They eliminated the draft, and that means that we can go to war anytime. People, they they learn from the Vietnam War. We just can't continue to fight wars. That if everybody kids are fighting these wars, sooner or later it's becoming unpopular. So the solution to that was to get rid of the draft and only volunteers. So most Americans look at wars like a almost a video game. Their kids aren't going there. They aren't fighting. So uh, that's going to help. As long as we do not have the draft, I predict, uh, like it has been in my lifetime, we'll almost always be in some conflict on some foreign land because the average Americans don't have nothing at stake. They ain't got to worry about their kids getting killed and things like that. And they're, uh, and they're strategic enough to know that. Uh, then uh, the national debt, I think you know, when I was born, the national debt was like $171 billion, billion, by the way. Now it's up to 30 trillion. And uh, most people don't understand, I think, and I, I don't want to be uh, uh, arrogant or anything, uh, underestimate people, uh, the importance of that national debt as far as the negative impact it's going to have on our history, that the, our kids going to have to pay that debt. And now the surprising thing about it, most Americans that I talk to, I would think that when you mention, well, your kid's going to have to pay for this. They really don't care as long as they get their Social Security. And that's what amazes me. As long as I get my money, it doesn't matter about my children. And so uh, the national debt keep running up. War equals government borrowing equals banks making a lot of money. I mean, it's that simple. Uh, and uh, we need anytime you're seeing war being promoted, just understand that somebody has to finance those wars and they're going to have to borrow that money. And that money is going to be borrowed either from banks or some of our enemies like China. And so just be aware of this and, you know, you can interpret it any way you want. And then the other thing, a couple of final things here, the Patriot Act. And uh, after 9-11, uh, we basically gave our federal government carte blanche uh, to just disrespect our freedom and liberties. I mean, the thing that uh, upset me the most, knowing uh, uh, the Constitution, uh, the amendments on illegal search and seizures, after the uh, Patriot Act, after 9-11, the government could actually come into your house, search your house, spy on you, and not, you wouldn't know anything about it. Now, to me, that's kind of scary, and that goes against everything that we want to do. And then finally, and this is we'll segue into our guest here, uh, the recent pandemic where the government can basically tell you to stay in your house. They can tell you where to go, where you can and where can't go. Uh, some people thought about it as uh, a home arrest without uh, a due process. Uh, they can make everybody get a vaccination. We were never intended to be like that as a country. And these are certain signs that we're slowly headed down the road of what Lincoln calls suicide. And once again, because they're not teaching our American citizens about history and, and the Constitution and our individual rights and freedom, half of the country is willingly, willingly going along with this. And I say willingly willingly listening <laughs> and sadly i should say going along with this so that's my little intro we are slowly 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 committing suicide and i suggest everybody out there that you do some 
research, at least go out, read up on your history, read up on your civics, read up on your the Bill of Rights, and uh, really make sure you understand what's going on here. So that's my two cents worth for the day. I'm excited about our guest, May uh, Laura Zhang. I mean, she's going to correct me. Uh, I'm going to bring her on. She has a great story. Uh, if we're talking about uh, bright lights and achievement, uh, this lady uh, family was uh, escaped from a war-torn environment. Uh, some of the things that they went through, her mom went through, uh, being born in a refugee camp and then coming to America and overcoming all of that and just achieving some very great things. So without further ado, uh, Ms. May uh, Laura Zhang, uh, correct that uh, pronunciation made from this southern accented uh, person uh, sitting in this chair here. Welcome. Oh, we got to. Sorry about that. Oh, go ahead. Hey, Laura Zhang. Thank you. And I yeah. had it down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Welcome, May. Uh, it's, Thank you it, for having I, me. I'm just glad to have you on here. And, uh, you know, I try to be uh, always honest and 100% with my audience. First of all, I got to know you in the Hmong community, and I'm just a big fan of you, and I'm a big fan of the Hmong community. Uh, they are some of the most warming, welcoming, and culturally rich people I've ever been around, and they've always made me and my wife feel at home, and I really appreciate that, and this adopted us. So that's one thing I need to get out of the way. So, uh May, tell me about your background here. Uh, I started it. I probably butchered it a little bit. But uh, tell me about, well, first of all, your your family's origin from Laos. Uh, you were fighting on the side of the U.S. during the war in Southeast Asia. And I still remember all that. I still remember all the lies they told us and all the things they hid from us. And, and <laughs> there's not, nothing new under the sun. Uh, but uh, your family was involved in that, and your and the Hmong people were helping the U.S. Why don't you explain that to us, and what happened when once the conflict ended, and how you and your family uh, ended up in the United States, including your birth in the refugee camp? So give us a give the audience like a synopsis of how you arrived in this country and all the things you had to go through. Sure. So my parents, they uh, were in Laos and during the Vietnam War and the communists uh, taking over uh, Laos, they uh, fought alongside, especially the, the Hmong people, fought alongside with the American soldiers. And my dad actually was uh, uh, became a soldier when he was 14 years old. So he was uh, a soldier at a very young age. Um, and shortly after many years of fighting with, you know, in the Vietnam War, they decided that uh, from what I know and from what I learned from my parents, um, the Vietnamese or the communists kept taking over uh, their small villages up in mountains and uh, to the point where they couldn't survive anymore. So they decided to, um, you know, run or uh, move or hide, I don't know what you would call it, and eventually uh, learn that if they crossed the Mekong River to Thailand, that they would uh, find shelter and they would be safe there. So, you know, that's what they did. Um, they spent a couple months uh, running uh, and hiding out in the jungle. And finally, 
you know, they came to the Mekong River. And by that time, uh, according to what my mom, uh, you know, told me, they start out with 40 people from their village. By the time that they got to the river, a lot of the people were separated, including my dad got separated from my mom, then also my aunt too. And uh, when they got to the river, there was like 10 people left. She was seven months pregnant with me. She has uh, my two older sisters and uh, my brother. So at that time, you know, they couldn't cross the river during the day because they would, uh, you know, they were afraid that they would get um, discovered by the Vietnamese soldiers and would be killed. Um, and so they would have to hide until nighttime to cross the river. And during that time, it was monsoon season too. So you would imagine it's just a lot of rain. It's muddy. The river is really, um, uh, you know, like the, the water's very high tide at that time. And, and so she, you know, and before the, crossing the river and they've been running around in the jungle for months, by the time they, uh, you know, got to the river, they didn't have any food. So they haven't had food for three days and three nights. She, uh, didn't have any strength and she didn't know how she's going to cross over because, you know, everybody's just fighting for their own lives. And so she, uh, there was a, a cousin, a female cousin there, and she didn't have a inner tube. And so my mom made a deal with her and say, hey, you know, like if you help carry one of my uh, child, uh, I will I will swim us, uh, swim, uh, sorry, swim us across the river. Mm -hmm. Right. And so she agreed. And so my because uh, the, the cousin didn't know how to swim. My mom was the only one that knew how to swim. So she tied all of them together and she uh, tried to swim across the river in the middle of the night as gunshots were they're firing at them. Um, and she does she didn't know where it was coming from, but it was coming from their direction. She can felt it in the air. And so uh, she had to they all had to keep their had so low uh, under the inner tube to make sure that, you know, they won't get killed. Well, you know, she kept swimming, swimming, fighting for her life. And she thought, you know, she couldn't do anymore. She was running out of strength. She hadn't had food for three days and three nights. And she was obviously really pregnant uh, with me. And she thought I, she couldn't do it anymore. And she decided I, she, she's going to give, uh, give up. But as soon as she let her feet down, she felt the sand and then she realized, oh, wow, I made it uh, to the other side. Well, you know, they she didn't have any strength to cross over. So she had to crawl and the rest of and pull the rest of uh, them over to the um, to the shore. But eventually they were found uh, in the morning by the Thai soldiers and brought to the camp. Um, and after after that, she uh, my one of my sister passed away. I'm pretty sure it was uh, due to ammonia or um, you know illness that she um, had um, during their ordeal crossing the Mekong River. Um, and she she died ten days before my mom uh, had me. So it was it was a really tough life for my uh, my mom especially. 
enduring uh, what she had to go through and, uh, you know, and lost a child at that time and, you know, giving birth to me. Um, and after she said that after giving birth, we were both very, very sick and we almost died too. But we, we got better and we overcame that. Um, we lived in the camp for um, about at least eight years and uh, we decided to immigrate to the U.S. Okay. Um, so you immigrated here at the age of eight and I, I hesitate to even get into the details of the refugee camp. Uh, but a couple of things you did say, uh, first of all, you got separated. Your mom got separated from your dad. Did they ever reunite and find each other? Oh, they did. Yep. They, okay. so my dad made it to the uh, refugee camp and also uh, my mom too. And so they were re reunited um, okay. in the refugee camp. And you also mentioned that you started out with roughly 40 uh, monks trying to cross the river. Uh, and you ended up with 10, I think. Yes. What happened to the other 30, May? So they were separated. Uh, very, very fortunate that nobody got killed. They were just separated and um, everyone uh, was able to find their own way uh, to the river and then cross over safely. Okay, mm -hmm. so for the sake of time, because I'm interested in all these little details, but I'm going to skip over some of them here. Uh, so at the age of eight, you immigrate to the U.S. I'm assuming the whole family does at the yeah. age of eight. Uh, how did you end up? Well, how did you end up in Minnesota? Why Minnesota? Uh, and, and, or was that the first place you uh, ended up when you immigrated to America? You know, I asked my parents that question to him, like, why Minnesota? <laughs> but we have a lot of relatives that, that uh, came to uh, to the U.S. in the early 80s already, and especially my uncle, my dad's brother. They settled in Minnesota. And so when uh, we were registered, uh, to my knowledge or to what I you know understand from my parents, I think they register and then they get a choice of where to go. And um, they must have told them that, hey, we're going to Minnesota because that's where all their relatives were. Okay. And I'm not going to ask you to, to any more question about the process of immigration because you were only eight years old. Uh, but but let's talk about, uh, you mentioned that one of your sisters uh, passed away. Uh, let's talk about the family that actually made it to America, your mom and dad. Mm -hmm. uh, how many siblings uh, uh, make it here or, or with you? So by that time when we came here in 1987, I have three brothers and uh, one sister. So five, seven of us. Right. So, yep. so now I do remember, I think I remember some things at eight years old. Do you remember any, uh, do you have any memories of uh, uh, you as an eight-year-old uh, immigrating to America and your first impression of how you felt and things like that. Can you share some of that with us? Sure. Definitely. It was very, very different from uh, growing up in the refugee camp. You know, in the refugee camp, you really don't have anything. You can't really go anywhere. And at night, it's just pitch dark. You don't have street, you don't have like lights, street lights. You don't have uh, the, the buildings that you have in the U.S. 
And so when we first landed, um, it was in September of 1987. It was like early evening. And I remember getting out of the plane and just like these buildings. I'm like, oh, wow, like this is like definitely a strange place. And then uh, seeing my uh, relatives waiting for us. And I just remember all of them are just crying and I'm like, I don't even know where I am. Um, but I remember clearly as we were, they were driving us to their house and it was all the lights were all lit up, you know, street lights. And I'm so curious and I'm looking outside and, you know, to me, they look like stars and I'm like trying to like reach for them. I'm like, I have my hand out and like trying to reach. And I'm like, wow, like I'm in heaven, you know, I mean, it's like heaven to me. I've never seen so many stars so close and so bright. And eventually I found out that was, those were streetlights. So now, <laughs> now, were any members of your family speaking English when you first uh, immigrated to America, when you first arrived here in Minnesota? So, you know, before we were, uh, you know, before they sent us to America, mm -hmm. we went from the uh, the Bonvenai refugee camp to another camp where we wait there for about five to six months. And at the, in that camp uh, for adults and young um, and for teens, they'll try to teach them English. So I remember just going around and hearing uh, my parents saying, yeah, they're like learning how to you know, like speak English, they'll teach them um, the letters or, you know, just some basic words. But to really speak the language, nobody, you know, spoke English at all at that time. Well, and we're going to talk about you have a special interest and passion for education. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about your initial education experience. When you started I'm assuming you started public school here in the in, in Minnesota. Uh, what was that experience like? And did you have any language challenges, uh, uh, issues, socialization issues where people were uh, maybe mean and cruel to you? What was your first uh, few years like in the uh, Minnesota public school system? Well, the first few years, I honestly don't remember my, you know, so much of what I've learned in the classroom, but I re I do remember uh, a few things. For example, my first day going to school, I remember my mom walking us down the street and all of a sudden there's like this yellow bus came and my mom told me, okay, you get on that bus, you're going to go to school and you're going to be good. And, you know, as a child, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to obey what my mom uh, tells me. And then I'm just get on that bus. But I remember as the bus drove off and I'm looking back, like, um, am I coming back home? Like, I don't know if I'm coming back home. There's this weird yellow bus that just, you know, came to pick me up. And I thought it was maybe going to school forever. But, but those are things I'm pretty sure my parents, you know, they didn't even know either. And they're just being told, yeah, this is where you have to, you know, take your child, you know, and the bus will come and pick them up. And they fail to tell me they will bring you back after school. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I just remember how the world looked 
to me as a child. And I'm constantly reminding myself that children look at the world totally different than we do. And we always need to be conscious of that uh, when we are communicating and raising and loving our children. Uh, okay, so this strange bus takes you off and you don't know whether you're going to ever see your parents again or whatever, but you finally learn that eventually they'll bring you back home and, 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 and you start your public education, at least K through 12. Well, uh, you probably in about the fourth or fifth grade uh, when you started school here. Yep. I was in second grade. Second grade. Okay. okay. Second grade. Um, yep. And what happened was uh, at that time, they uh, put all the Hmong students in one room um, from like first grade to sixth grade. Um, I can't remember exactly what grade, but I remember we're bunched up in this one room and uh, we were learning how to read and write Hmong, not English. I just remember once in a while, we'll go into like one of those classrooms, but um, I don't remember learning anything from there. I just remember. So we, they told us that we have to learn to read and write in Hmong. So that way we can then learn how to read and write in English. So the so, first two years we learned how to read and write in Hmong. Mm -hmm. Okay. When did you learn to read and write in English? Um, I honestly, probably two years after that, but you know, it's like I said, I, the first few years were just like survival, just trying to survive through school and um, this new uh, system and that that we're learning. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just really hard to explain. They're right. like, how could you not remember? It, honestly, I don't remember what I learned and how I learned the uh, letters, how I learned how to speak English all of a sudden. You just start learning how to speak English. But I know that I have this wonderful ESL teacher right. that would take us to his room and we would practice English with him. And that's when I felt the most comfortable and I felt really safe to just practice uh, my English there. Mm -hmm. Usually in the classroom, I don't remember talking a lot because um, every time I try to say something, I... I remember the reaction from my classroom teacher. They just look at me like, I don't understand you, right? But for my ESL teacher, you know, he he just have this demeanor where he uh, doesn't make you feel, you know, awkward or felt like I don't understand you. Like he at least tried to understand what I'm trying to say. So that, that made me feel really, um, you know, good and safe to practice speaking that language and yeah. that's how i was inspired to become an esl teacher so. and we're going to talk about that in your education just uh quickly did you have any favorite subjects uh in let's say high school or whatever that uh, what were your favorite subjects in school um i definitely like math until it got really hard then i decided that i like reading more <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand that and, and by the way i can't remember how i learned english either there, there are people out there will argue that i still haven't learned english but uh yeah so that, that, that's, that's kind of common so let's talk before we get into your education and uh esl and things uh let's talk a little bit about your current family tell us about your current family and what are they doing and 
uh, how uh, proud of a mom you are. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I am a, a single mom of four children. My youngest is 18 already, believe it or not. <laughs> I start. Um, I started uh, at a very young age uh, having children. So, uh, which is great because now I'm. I could say I'm young and. You know, I don't have to worry about children anymore. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's good. Uh, yeah. What are their uh, genders and what are they currently doing that uh, make you as a mom uh, very proud? I mean, you'd be proud of them anyway, but what are your children doing nowadays? So, uh, yep. So I have two boys and two girls. Uh, both of my sons are in the U.S. military. My oldest is in the National Guard here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And my youngest son is in the Navy. And he's currently stationed in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. My oldest daughter, she lives in New York right now. She's um, attending college there. Uh, she, uh, last time I checked, she was trying to do pre-law there. Um, and so, yeah. And then now I have my youngest daughter. She's a senior this year. But she's also uh, working part-time at uh, as a nurse assistant. Um, she wants to pursue a career in, in nursing, so which is great. Um Okay, so evidently, uh, as we would expect, you've done a, a great job of parenting. And I sound like a broken record, but I just remember when I was young hearing uh, Jackie Kennedy say that if you fail at being a parent, nothing else really matters. And uh, I took that with me into my adulthood and uh, try to make sure I'm always a good parent because most of the issues that we uh, ascribe to our children are really adult issues because we are not doing what we're supposed to do. Okay, so uh, you got inspiration from one of your ESL teachers in the public school system. Uh, You had an interest in education, so you went off to college and uh, I think it was Concordia University here, and you got a BA and master's in education. Is that correct? Yes. And, uh, well, there's probably an obvious answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What made you decide to major and get an advanced degree in education? So right after high school, um, like I said, I was a young mom. I had to get a job right away. So I, um, I became a teacher assistant. So I graduated from Johnson High School in St. Paul. Um, right after that, I became a teacher system. So I actually never left the school system here, mm-hmm. but that led me into, um, becoming an interpreter for Hmong families and working with a lot of the, um, Hmong students in school and especially with the ESL students. So from there, I decided, you know, I actually enjoy working with the students and, um, you know, teaching them, uh, you know, reading and writing, because that's what I do if I, you know, when I don't have to uh, interpret or work with families during the day, I would have a small uh, uh, group of students and I would, you know, help with, you know, their reading and their writing and their ESL uh, class. And this was like in a junior high high school. Um, So from there, I decided I'm just going to pursue my license um, and ESL and work with these students. So that's why I decided to, uh, you know, get my 
uh, license in ESL. Um, and yeah, and that's how my career started. Um, it was, uh, and at that time, Concordia had this great program. It's called the SEAT program for, um, you know, a, a people or staff that works at a school and they're trying to pursue their uh, their teaching license. And we had this, uh, you know, great, um, uh, let me see, a financial or grant uh, for for the program. So um, I, I was able to apply and qualify for that. And I, I took advantage of that opportunity. Um, and yeah, and so I decided, and then at one point I went into, you know, pursue my master's in educational leadership because I thought, well, maybe I'll become a principal or, or something. Mm -hmm. So that's why I, uh, you know, went back to school for that. Um, and it was, you know, it was not easy. Uh, getting my master's, especially I was uh, a single mom with four uh, children at that time. And my youngest was um, probably like uh, two years old. And imagine trying to you know, teach full-time, being a full-time mom with barely any uh, help, and then going to school full-time to pursue my uh, uh, master's. But the thing is that, you know, if, you, if you're if you not afraid to work hard and you have a, a goal that you want to accomplish, you can. It uh, doesn't matter how, you know, what your situation is, you will find a way to uh, accomplish and reach that goal. I'm ready to end the interview on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our message. If you if you willing to, and I think Tom Brady said, Brady uh, quarterback said, uh, "What are you willing to sacrifice to be the best you can be in right. life?" Right. And one of my uh, big issues now is that people are not asked to sacrifice. And the word hard work hardly ever come up. Uh, I'm going to assume that uh, English as a second language teacher that you were or are, you were teaching uh, Hmong students how to speak English. Am I correct in that assumption? Or maybe not. Correct me if I'm not. Sure. Well, it's all immigrant students. Um, okay. Hispanic, uh, Somali. Uh, Karen, Hmong, you know, in uh, some, yeah. Yes, that's so, true, yeah. That's amazing to me, but does that mean that you have, you understand and, ha and can translate uh, all those different languages? This is sound rather na naive to me, but I, <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed by the questions here. But uh, you could teach all these different languages, correct? Uh, no, I'm teaching English to the uh, the immigrants. I, right, but I mean, don't you have to, don't you have to understand their language to teach English to them? Uh, I, I'm getting an education on ESL here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you not have to understand their language to teach English to them? No, absolutely not. Okay, you, okay. To, you know, work with them and just be patient. It's okay. it's a lot of patience and just a lot of love. Boy, now you got me curious. You're going to have me uh, looking at YouTube videos tonight to see how the ESL works. Okay, so I love what you uh, presented to our audience so far. I mean, mm -hmm. the struggles of your family and the situation in Laos, uh, your mom and boy uh, sound like a very strong 
uh, dedicated woman and just keeping a great attitude. Right. Uh, crossing the river with you and how you crossed the river and stayed in the refugee camps until uh, you was eight and eventually came to America and all the awkwardness and uh, unfamiliarity there uh, and uh, going to college and getting your degree and uh, by the way uh, why are you not did you did you give up on being in the administration in public education uh, are you ever planning on being a principal or one of those educational bureaucrats or maybe uh, in, in the future? No, I decided not to. I could have easily uh, gotten my administration license uh, right after that. But I decided that the reason I got into education was to help the students learn yeah. English. And I'm going to stay that way. I, you know, I have a lot of people say, well, why don't you just, you know, become a principal or anything? I just love, if I'm going to be in education, then I'm going to continue to be a teacher, not trying to be a principal or anything else. Okay. And I was going to say, you did that, overcome all the obstacles, not only you, but your whole family and things like that. Uh, Got to the point where you got your college degree done, you're in in the public education field. But somewhere along the line, you got this, idea hey i'm going to sell real estate uh am i correct there and what went into that uh hey i'm gonna sell real estate then uh, i think you've been uh, real estate you're a real estate broker you still are for a few years so why don't you tell us about what went into that uh, decision and what's your experience has been like in real estate um, you know, I've always been a very uh, curious and, you know, I love to learn. Uh, believe it or not, before that, I was an insurance agent. I was, uh, I mean, I joined, I tried to do side jobs, all mm-hmm. the time, different jobs just to help mm-hmm. me. Because being a single mom, you always look for extra income. And I'm not afraid to learn new things or um, educate myself in other things. So, um I got curious on real estate when I uh, bought my home and, and I, I felt like I didn't even know what I was signing. I mean, I just remember, you know, signing a a thick packet of paper and, um, and that was it. And, and so, um, I figured, you know, I love real estate. I love learning about the process. It's almost like being a teacher when you be, you're a, a realtor. Um, you're teaching uh, buyers, especially, uh, you know, first time home buyers, the, the process of, uh, you know, and the steps and how to get your home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I just decided that, yeah, I want to pursue real estate and I f- uh, and fell in love with uh, that. And I, yeah, just continue to um, do that uh, uh, part time. Mm-hmm. Okay, and yeah, you, you bring up something uh, when I was growing up and even as I got an adult, just about everybody worked two jobs. Uh, I tell people, and that's why I hear when people whine complaining about uh, their wages and stuff, and nobody want to work two or three, three jobs anymore. I'm being overly simple there and saying that, though. But uh, it was just nothing for uh, people to work two or three jobs when I was growing up to support uh, uh, their family. So it's glad to hear that. Are you still uh, in the real estate business and how's the current market if you are? Yes, um, I do real estate part time. I'm not full time. Um, mm-hmm. I work with um, just I don't really advertise myself out there. I work with a lot of um, um, 
referrals, referrals and, uh-huh. yeah, and families. But yes, it's it's still a little crazy. I know that you know that interest rate uh, kind of slowed down some of the buyers, but it's still a crazy market out there, especially in the spring market here. Yeah, I believe that. Now, uh, it's very seldom I uh, have a chance to talk with anyone in education that I don't delve into it a little bit. It's one of my little pet peeves, and I think I saw somewhere where you really stress the importance of education, and it is. It's, it's just so important. Uh, but uh, I also read where a quote from you, uh, maybe I saw a quote from you, on a video that we are being led in the wrong direction when it comes to our public education system. Mm-hmm. Uh, may why would you say that? And uh, it may come as a surprise to some people, but not to me. But I, I probably agree with you. Why why are we being led in the wrong direction uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to education? Um. Like I said, you know, I grew up in public education and so does all my uh, siblings and my children. So I truly, you know, love, especially in this country that we're providing um, education uh, to people who can't afford like private education, right? And, but um, right now, if you really think about it, Mm -hmm. uh, the left is all, all they're talking about in education is LBGT, and CRT, okay, these are things that are not important uh, in education. We need to really focus on, you know, the basics for our students, that reading, writing, and math. These are the skills that they need uh, in order for them to achieve their goals and their dreams. Mm-hmm. These are the, the things that they need to go into higher education. If they want to put a socialist agenda in school, why not teach the students, um, you know, acts of kindness and learn uh, respect? If they want to put socialist agenda in uh, public uh, education, but if we're talking about right now, we're worried about uh, gender and pronouns, and we're not worrying about reading and writing. We're worrying about. Um, you know, teaching our students that, especially students of color, that they're being, the system is racist and they're being oppressed. Why not we focus on and get more, um, you know, teachers to help them with reading, writing, so they, that way they can be successful. And that's where I said it's, we're going the wrong directions because we're not really focused on the basics. We're not focusing on what skill set they need to be successful and become productive citizens in the U.S. Yeah, generally, I try to be kind of neutral and balanced, but some things you can't be neutral and balanced. And I've expressed that same concern. Uh, And especially when it comes to our children of color, that you look at the data and stuff that show how bad uh, they are as far as teaching our kids the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And uh, it's just incredible that they want to now add all this other things that I think should be left to the family and and the parent. Uh, And the way I say it to people, basically what they're doing with our children of color, because when you get out, if you can't read and write and understand, uh, but you know that America's a racist and everything is unfair, they're they're basically educating our children to be protesters. 
-hmm. They're not educating them to grow up to be providers and self-sufficient and responsible. It's just to grow up to complain and whine and everything unfair. And so let's tear everything down. Let's protest thing. And it's, it's a serious thing with me because I see the results of it. And I've told people, uh, and, and I just can't get it out of my mind, the beautiful young uh, ninth grader reading at the first grade level. And every time I hear them talking about all these distractions and, and all these social agendas and stuff, no, teach my child how to read, write, do arithmetic, teach them about history, teach them about civics, economics, money, everything else, but what you want to teach them about. So I'm 100%, uh, 1,000% in agreement with you there. Now, uh, I have some other uh, shortcomings with the education system that I'm going to just lump them all together and let you reply to them because we don't have time to go into each one of them. Uh, first of all, my pet peeve is the curriculum. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a public education system that do not teach our kids about the law and respect for the law and the logic behind the law, which means that the government can either take your personal freedom by locking you up or even put you to death because of the law. And you would think that they spend some time teaching us about that. They don't teach us anything about money or our monetary system or the Federal Reserve or central banks. And I suspect part of that is, is that if we ever learn about money, we won't be so quick to borrow money. And all the interest is going to go out the window. I, I just remember working with a guy, and I didn't, I didn't appreciate that at, at the time. Back in my early 20s when I first finished uh, college, uh, he said he only uh, charged two things, his house and his car. Everything else he pays for cash. But if we all Americans wised up and did that, a lot of banks would go out of business. And I don't think they want us to know that, interest rate and charging interest is a bad thing. So so those are the, the, the just the area of freedom, uh, wealth, the law, money, and things like that they don't teach us about. And I'm rather suspicious that it's not coincidental. And I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other thing is just the education achievement gap. And I have, and I'm not going to get into my history of dealing with educators, but I've dealt with them at all levels. Mm -hmm. And I, I have almost zero confidence in them that they will ever close the education achievement gap for people of color and poor people because they just don't understand. And probably even more so, not going to go through a laundry list of things. They look at these uh, children as victims and mm -hmm. rather as someone who is just as capable as, the, uh, as their kids are, mm -hmm. children are. And so those are the two things that, I really have a serious issue with uh, as far as our public education, fundamental issues with. And as a result of that, uh, even though I support the public school system, I insisted on both of my sons graduating, going to the public school system. I'm for vouchers. I think without competition, they're never going to do what they need to do. So that's number one. And number two, for those people who are not in favor of vouchers, who talk about how they're going to destroy the public school system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and take the resources, I say, let's let's give it a five-year try and see who's right. And I suspect, and, and I just have confidence in business people, by the way, just creativity. Is, and I've been around all the union rules and all the, uh, the culture there and the infrastructure there. They're just not equipped to do it. And But mainly, it, it's just their perspective on these children 
whether they feel sorry for them and they're poor, they're black or whatever. And we got a different set of rules. I see a lot of breakdown of discipline because they basically don't understand the children, especially young black males. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time they're afraid of them. So I have zero confidence in the public school system. And I don't know why people keep thinking that they will. I, I really don't understand why people think they're going to solve these issues. But I said all that, May, to give you a chance to respond to it and feel free to tell me where I'm wrong at. Uh, but anyway, what's your response to some of the, the uh, issues and objections I have uh, with the current public education system? Mm -hmm. Oh, I absolutely agree with uh, everything you uh, you know mentioned, especially with teaching laws and our freedom and uh, finance, especially in high school. They those are critical uh, things that they need uh, to understand as they are uh, becoming adults. Mm -hmm. But we're not teaching them that because we don't want them to know their rights and their uh, the, the laws and the in this country because they might just, uh, you know, understand their freedom. They might just understand, uh, you know, what it means to be, uh, be a citizen in this country. And so, you know, we, we have to bring those back. We have to educate our uh, young, um, you know, a generation or uh, young uh, children. Uh, yeah, the, the, the laws, the freedom and uh, finance. Right. Um, so that way they don't, you know, uh, start borrowing money like crazy and then uh, be broke, you know, within a year or two. But, um, you know, I do have an, yeah, issues with they're looking at education for a uh, student of color, you know, especially, you know, black children said, oh, you know, we're going to keep lowering the standard for them because they can't, you know, get there. Well, if you try a little bit harder, you know, and, you know, expect the same results like you would expect for um, white kids or Asian kids, then and find more resources, then it would just be fine. You cannot keep lowering the standard for them. Um, and what does that say about them? That they don't believe in our, uh, you know, children, right, right. children of color. They don't right. think that they can uh, succeed. They already have that mindset. Um, and you, you just can't as educators, you know, I don't believe in, in that. I, I was, you know, I'm an ESL teacher. I work with a lot of immigrant students, but, you know, I, I remember, uh, being a mentor, um, uh, for this, um, uh, black, uh, student, a black male student for some reason, you know, I, I can connect very well with, with them. And, um, and I was, I was his mentor for two years. And, you know, the thing is that if you hold him accountable for his learning mm -hmm. and you expect, you know, you set high expectations, you know, he will do it. It is all about the expectations and holding them accountable. It doesn't matter who they are. And that's where we need to, you know, do better. At, at yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent and expect it. And by the way, I'm on record. I'm never in favor of lowering standards. I'm mm -hmm. in favor of raising standards for our yeah. children. And, and so I, I'm on record there. But really what we're talking about here, our public education system is really set up to create workers and consumers. It's not created to set up people that's going to uh, lead and own their own businesses and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and we talked about the standards. I'm not in favor of that. So let's, let's um, segue into 
you talked about the American dream, and we're going to get you off of here fairly shortly, but I really like what I heard. When you came to America and just the Hmong community, you had the idea of an American dream in mind. And I, from what I understand, you decided to pursue that. Uh, how important was what? Well, what does the American dream mean to you? And uh, well, let's, let's keep it to you. Uh, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. uh, the American dream is being able to, um, you know, work and provide for myself and my family, being able to own a home and uh, to be uh, free of a government overreach. I mean, that's pretty much because that's why my parents, they fled. Uh, communism is they don't want that government overreach and that government control. And so for us, um, even the word Hmong means free. So our naming, uh, you know, Hmong means free. And that's what we we're always seeking is that freedom and uh, the, the pursuit of happiness or freedom. Um, but here in America, it is about working hard and being able to be independent. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there, uh, America seems the citizen is slowly dividing into two groups, at least, and uh, simplifying it here. But there are those groups that there's a group that believe that the government is the answer to everything. And they see government as a way of making other people do what they want them to do. And there are people like me who want the government basically to stay out of my life, except for some of the basic stuff uh, uh, that we talked about. Uh, how, uh, how do you think, uh, what would, what would you say to those people who look to government to just tell us what to do and they're in control of everything and, and they look at that government as their, uh, enforcer to force their values and their philosophy and their attitude down our throats. Uh, and a lot of these people, I think, uh, on this, uh, say therefore diversity, unless you disagree with us. But how do you feel about this whole idea of government uh, controlling our lives and being such a great uh, influencer of our lives? Well, um, it's getting more and more out of control uh, these days. I, I, the way I see our government, it's um, that to me is communism. And if you look around and you know other uh countries like china and other uh countries that are communism um the government is controlling them they're controlling how they think what they need to think and um how to live their life um and especially you know like they start to indoctrinate uh, our children at a very young age in school where you know what they need to think and what they're gonna be. Um, and I, I find it so scary if you have not, you know, if you don't understand, if you have not lived in a communist country, it's, it's we're reaching dangerous zone right now, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where, you know, people like you and I are being vocal and we're trying to say, hey, this is not America. You know, America is found on, you, you know, uh, the freedom of uh, religion and uh, freedom of speech. And and if we if all those things are taken away from us, then we are going to end up being a communist, a socialist country. 
And uh, why would we we want a such, you know, uh, is something like that in our um, in our country? Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting like some on the back. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get you off here a second. But yeah, you're like me. Uh, people don't complain about losing rights that they don't know about, and that's what I see a lot of happening. And people just don't know. And then again, uh, at least half our population appear to me, they the Constitution is not that important. Uh, it's really what they're trying to get done, and if it, it means uh, ignoring the Constitution, going around the Constitution. Uh, that's fine. In fact, the issue is I think a lot of people just don't know what's in the Constitution. And and uh, it's kind of sad when they say most Americans would fail the basic immigration test, which is a test of our government and our Constitution, and our rights. So, so May, uh, you've been very, very uh, patient with me here. Uh, I appreciate that. Very insightful on some of the things that uh, you shared with our audience. Uh, I tell everyone and I kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we are here to give people a different view. Uh, I have uh, something I call the parts of life, perspective, attitude, reaction, tenacity, and spirituality. And I think you represent that. Uh, we appreciate all the things that you've gone through and still uh, been a great citizen, a great uh, parent, a great uh, uh, servant uh, to your community. So we really appreciate uh, having you on. But before we go, mm -hmm. I want you to address this audience I have in mind of young people who are uh, into the critical race theory, who's into, uh, you know, how unfair everything is and mm -hmm. uh, into uh, we want to make America socialist and, and we don't believe in free enterprise anymore. Uh, what message would you say uh, leave with our audience who think that way, uh, particularly, particularly, <laughs> particularly uh, our young people. Uh, leave. Uh, what message would you say to them? And, and once again, the perspective is having overcome everything that you and your family over have overcome mm -hmm. and, and and achieved in life, and significant uh, achievements in life. Um. So. I kind of wrote some things down and this is what I want to tell our um, young listeners and everyone, um, all the, you know, people that are listening to your podcast here, I would say first have a goal or a few goals and write them down, focus on your goal. Um, and education is crucial to your success. You know, it, there, it's like a, your foundation to everything, to your success. And I said, and, but most importantly, do not let anyone tell you that you are oppressed because you are a person of color, especially. Um, you are the author of your destiny. You are, you know, um, you are on the driver's seat. You can decide, okay, how far you want uh, to go. Um, and I said, uh, you know, and what's great about this country is that you, we have the American privilege to pursue our American dream and whatever that may be to you. Um, and therefore we must protect our freedom and our, um, our rights in this country 
uh, this is so important because when we lose that our rights and our freedom, we're going to lose our American dreams and we're going to lose, um, you know, uh, all the uh, things that this country uh, has provided for us and what uh, what immigrants and other people are, you know, coming to this country to um, pursue is that their freedom and uh, their opportunity and their American dream. Yeah, it's a slow road to the suicide that Abraham Lincoln talked about. One last thing for our audience, though, and I kind of neglected because I kind of focus on achievement in business and family areas. But you have uh, dug down and found the courage to run for political office, May, and I know what type of courage and sacrifices it takes. But uh, you're running for Congress. Uh and uh, political aspirations, uh, if you're like me, you're connecting that to economics, you're connecting it to family, you're connecting it to education, uh, you're connecting it to spirituality. So tell us what went into your decision to run for, run for Congress in Minnesota Congressional District uh, 4, uh, which is mostly St. Paul, I guess. Why did you decide to do that? Uh, are you glad for a punishment, May, or are you just <laughs> willing, yeah. willing to make the sacrifice? It's funny because when I told my um, oldest daughter that I was running for Congress and and she, uh, you know, sighed, she's like, so mom, are you that bored? <laughs> that bored just because, you know, we're all out of the home. <laughs> um, but, you know, a few years ago, I I feel so bad of what the rioting and the looting, um, all the businesses on University Avenue and uh, seeing, you know, people, especially immigrants, they work so hard to open their uh, business and then, you know, just to get looted and to uh, burn down. And, you know, um, you can see the sadness um, uh, and there was, I didn't see anyone, any uh, politicians or any political figure, uh, you know, would come and, um, and and talk to them and, you know, and or, or show them any sympathy. I was out there, you know, Shello and I and, you know, many other people, we were out there, uh, you know, holding a broom and dustpan and help them sweep, you know, um, of what's left over in their uh, business. And, um, you can see them crying and just, you know, their dreams being shattered away. And um, and then now with the crime rate uh, skyrocketing and, you know, carjacking and uh, violent crimes are increasing, not just in St. Paul. I, I live in St. Paul here, but it's, you know, it's not just CD4. It's all across America. Mm-hmm. Um, and our educational uh, system, you know, like St. Paul was shut down while the suburbs area were opened. And, you know, a lot of our students, especially students of color, immigrant students, they they attend St. Paul public schools, right? Um, and it was shut down and, you know, and they're the students that need it, uh, to be in school because most of the parents, they work, you know, they, they work a, a lot of hours and or they don't speak the language. And so when, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're doing um, online schooling, they're, they're falling behind even further. So it's talking about, uh, you know, the achievement gap 
it's the pandemic has not really helped our students, especially students of color. Um, and just with this and, you know, our, our, uh, you know, our freedom, you know, they're, they're con trying to control our freedom of speech and our uh, second amendment. And I thought, you know, it, it's, someone has to stand up to this. Um, and someone has to be vocal and someone has to be strong enough to, uh, say enough is enough. And that, you, you know, someone with a common sense to mm -hmm. really, um, mm -hmm. you know, go to, uh, DC and, you know, in a challenge these politicians or these career politicians that's been, you know, in, in Congress, uh, for, you know, like 30, 40 years, they're, they're out of touch. They don't know what, uh, the, you know, average people are going through. Um, and, and so I decided that I'm going to, you know, stand up and be, uh, be able to represent CD4 and the people and ho hopefully, uh, you know, take their voice to DC and uh, make some changes. Yeah. I think part of the issue is those people who are in control Average people to them means you got an Ivy League education. You got a, you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, and you got everything taken care of. And uh, they don't seem to realize there are people in other parts of the country who are really suffering. And a lot of our policies over the decades has been really detrimental to them in our country. Uh, you and I are uh, pretty close to, in seeing what's going on here. Mm -hmm. and having concerns and i'm like you i got some serious concerns and i've been around long enough i've seen so many things happen within the last four years i'm like is this america that i never thought i'd see in this country i mean to be honest with you i just never thought i'd see some of these things and they are very disturbing and uh thankfully we have people like you out there may who also observing this and who's concerned about our country and if you're like me uh it might really just boil down, down to i just love my grandson and i think about what kind of country i want to leave him mm -hmm. and the fact that i don't want to leave him with a, a, a national debt of 50 trillion dollars you know and those type of things and i want to leave him with a, a an economy that has a lot of the basic fundamentals in place and things like that so uh you feel like me and if you're like me you've got to the point you're willing to put up with whatever people want to say about you and whatever mm -hmm. they, I mean, because it, 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 it's that serious. So once again, May, uh, tell people if they want to support your campaign, by the way, uh, where can they go and look for additional information and and uh, maybe help you and support you? Oh, definitely love to, uh, you know, have uh, donors or volunteers uh, for with my campaign here. Um, they can go to May for the number four mn.com so it's may may the number four mn.com uh you can find more information um on there if you want to volunteer you want to donate uh you know it's all in the website so yeah check out my website um if you uh, want to volunteer great if you want to donate you know that's even better well, uh, thank you again for being a guest. Uh, I really love your story. I mean, the story of your mom and overcoming all you had to overcome, coming to achieve, uh, coming into a strange situation, uh, the awkwardness in your education system and just being tenacious and, 
dedicated and uh, open to new experiences. I think that is what the American spirit is about. A believer in uh, free enterprise, competition, uh, self-responsibility, self-accountability, hard work, discipline. Uh, those are the type of things that, uh, at least in my community, a lot of time we don't hear about. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're trying to uh, negate that because, once again, I'm just concerned that uh, the children in my neighborhood, all they hear about is all the negative stuff and history and bad stuff. And they don't understand that. Set goals. Let's set goals, people. Let's go out and achieve our goals. So hard work. We're not interested enough uh, to our uh, kids nowadays is right. you got to work hard just yes. like a kindergarten if you're going to learn your ABCs you got to work hard you got to practice and practice until you get it right. um, you know nothing comes freely you right. got to work for it you yes. want you know you want a big house you got to work hard you got to stay in school and you know learn how to read and write because that's the uh, you know that's a path that will take you there right mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Good message to end on May. Hope to see you soon. And and uh, once again, uh, I know you have some ideas and dreams about uh, some health uh, care issues in the Hmong community that I've been talking to you about. I have forgotten. I'm not going to ever forget it, May. Uh, but uh, I ran into a little snag there. But once again, thank you. Good luck on your campaign. Good luck on your work in the educational field, real estate, and everything else. And we didn't get a chance to talk about the wonderful Hmong culture that I've had the privilege to be exposed to. But once again, have a good evening. And I know you got a lot of work to do, to do and hope to see you soon, May. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Lacey. Thank I you. All right. Yeah. So everyone, uh, another episode of Bright Lights. And like I say, I'm really proud of the achievement uh, of May. Uh, once again, go out to LaceyJohnson.com and support the podcast. Uh, give us some feedback, but we look forward to keep bringing you uh, great achievements and achievers in the future. So good night. Uh, talk to you again. See you again next week. Oh, by the way, just quickly here, once again, keeping it 100. If you look in the back back there, it doesn't look like 7 p.m. at night on a Wednesday night where we do our live podcast. Uh, we decided to pre-record it today to accommodate May's schedule. She's been pretty busy, and we do that for our special guests where we really want to get them on. So thanks for accommodating us, May. Uh, thank your audience. Uh, see you again next week. This is Lacey Johnson, Bright Lights. Good night.